Welcome to the Friday, March 12th edition of the Clemson Dubcast. The weather is delightful. Spring is in the air. Hope everybody enjoys the beautiful weather this weekend. At TigerIllustrated.com, we sort of take a reset look at the football team with spring break upon them. They scrimmaged on Wednesday. They won't be back on the fields until Monday, March 22nd. Title sponsor of the Dubcast since the very beginning, back in August of 2018, Parm Smith and Arsenal Law Firm in downtown Greenville. They want you to know that their office remains open and available to serve you during the COVID-19 crisis. They are also offering their clients the ability to meet via telephone or through video conferencing. Whether you have a loved one who has suffered from a car accident, defective product, a neglectful nursing home facility, or medical malpractice issue, Parm Smith and Arsenal Holds Greenville Lawyers can provide the protection and guidance you need. Free consultations, 864-990-4500. Or on the web at parhamlaw.com. That's P A R H A M law.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, to our interview, Chip Towers, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Man, I've known him since the late 90s, I guess it was. Uh, I was at the Augusta Chronicle newspaper in Georgia, and he was then at the AJC. A lot of fun catching up with Chip here. Enjoy. All right, joined by longtime friend and colleague Chip Towers of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. How you doing, man? Hey, doing fantastic, Larry. It's good to catch up with you, man. Yeah, absolutely. We were, I guess a week ago, you and I were talking on the phone for about an hour, and I'm like, man, this would have been a good podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. Because we were talking about some interesting and uh, interesting stuff with the, you know, the run-up to the much-ballyhooed season opener in football. So are you... Uh, I, I see you, you covered the SEC tournament. Did, were you up in Nashville? I, I did not. I've actually, I, I've actually been not covering um, anything um, live since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Was I, I did cover uh, one or two games early in the football season. And then actually I have a, I, I take it just probably more information you want to know, but uh, I, I take a medicine that, you know, my doctor just said, you know, it's probably best that, that you not be around crowds. Right. And, and, uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's the way they make it work nowadays, uh, actually enables you to do your job to pretty good effect. Uh, there's a lot of things I miss about, I've missed about going to stadiums and arenas, uh, in the past, uh, eight months or so. I was actually in Nashville when the pandemic hit 
at the SEC tournament one year ago, what, almost exactly yeah. today. Yeah. Um, uh, when all this happened and, um, uh, you know, really haven't been, uh, anywhere, but a couple of home Georgia games since then. And, um, but as you know, with the zooms and all that kind of stuff, say so you miss some of the stuff by outside of the, uh, stadium, outside of the sidelines, um, some stuff you see maybe before the game from a personnel standpoint. Um, but generally, you know, I, I feel like you're able to cover the games, um, it, it, as good as you would if you were there, close to it anyway. Maybe even better because of you the know, replays and, and stuff. Yeah, you know, I don't know what the setup there is. Is at Clemson, and I guess I won't find out this year. I mean, I've been there many times before, but you know, things change all all the time. But you know, at Sanford Stadium in particular, um, you know, it's a great venue. Everybody loves it, and it's one of the few open air press boxes still remaining in, in college football. Most of them are enclosed, uh, which is great. It's, it's not as great in early summer and it's certainly not great in late fall. Um, but, but, uh, the rest of the time it's good. The only problem with it is the only, uh, TVs you have in there are behind you when you sit like I have in seat 100 on the 50 yard line for, I don't know how many years now, and so something happens on the field, and a lot of times they're not going to show you everything on the jumbotron, especially if it's controversial or something. You have to crank your head around and look, and then it's all about the timing of whether you're catching it right to see what the replay was. So I've had situations, Larry, where I just go on Twitter and say, hey, didn't get a good look at that. Uh, what what did television look like? You know, what did the television replay? And you you get fans just boom. It's like, oh yeah, it was definitely out uh, or, or whatever. And it's like I I couldn't see. And so to answer your question, I'm home here. I've got a I don't know what it is a 55 inch Shark TV um, right across from my desk, and and you know I can I can stop it and back it up, look at it a couple of times. Oh yeah, he was definitely off. Yeah. no question. So there are there are some advantages in in that regard, and you hear what you can hear actually hear what the TV people are saying, and and as you know, they get the uh, free game interviews and that kind of stuff. A lot of times they have some insights that you haven't been privy to so yeah there are definitely some advantages yeah i mean as a reporter you're you're wired to be there physically you know to want to, to want to be at the event but like you were saying with all the technology available and if you have a good a good color analyst who helps you learn about why stuff is happening and who is providing good insight sometimes i've found uh, that I can actually follow a game and it's sort of uh, twists and turns and pivotal moments better when I'm, you know, I guess it's also, there's a lot more distractions, I guess, when you're there because it's just, you know, it's a stadium full of people. There are people around you cutting jokes and, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, pressing, no, you know, it's true. The bands, the cheerleaders, the drill team, uh, you know, uh, um, and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, press box food. Uh, <laughs> there, 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 there's a, a lot of those things that, that, that come into play. And, and I, I do th- agree a hundred percent on the insight. Um, you know, I don't actually get to see the ACC network that much because, you know, obviously I'm watching the SEC network all the time, but I think the SEC network has a great group of, um, 
sportscasters. They're mostly former players. You know, guy like guys like uh, uh, Matt Stinchcomb and and uh, you know DJ Shockley are both doing it from Georgia. But uh, you know, other guys. The uh, I'm having a brain freeze right Cole now. Cole Kubelik is it? He's uh, yeah, still Cole Kubelik, Greg McElroy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these guys provide great uh, insights, and they really know. You know, like Stinchcomb. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say he's. Kirby Smart's best buddy, but they, you know, they go way back. They're good friends. Uh, and so he always has some spectacular insights and he's, um, you know, uh, borderline genius and in intelligence as it is. So it's just, you know, great to hear from those guys. Are you worried that now in the pandemic sort of, uh, way of doing things that, you know, it's, we're further removed from, the people we're covering that things might not go back to what we were are used to. And heck, even the things we were used to, it was still very managed and very controlled environments. I assume the same is, well, yeah, the same is definitely true under Kirby smart over there. Um, are you worried? I guess my question is that this will just be another way of sort of creating distance between the media and the people that, uh, that it covers like when things hopefully sooner rather than later return to normal? Oh, yeah, without question. Um, and, and look, uh, you know, I would hazard to assert that, that you have it better with Dabo Sweeney than we do over here with Kirby Smart, but uh, I think there's a part of them that deep inside – uh, really loves what happened with the pandemic. You know, it's just it, it, not the pandemic itself, but you know what I mean. I mean, just that the, the extra ins- insulation that has come with it and the control. And uh, under Kirby Smart, at least, it already developed into what I, I refer to as pack journalism. You know, one athlete surrounded by 24 media members all getting the same stuff. And increasingly over the years, uh, you know, this is – uh, probably more detail than you need to know, but for a while there, yeah, I've been work. I've, I've been with the AJC for 22 years, but for part of that, you know, I've had various different incarnations, but in and out of Georgia most of the time. But um, for a while, I was with Dog Nation, which is which is owned by the Atlanta Journal Constitution, but but works as a separate entity. Um, you know, a whole different silo, if you will. Um, for instance, they're totally sponsorship driven and we're, you know, we're, we're a, a paid publishing site. And, um, uh, anyway, while I was doing that, you know, you covered a lot of recruiting and you noticed it right away with Kirby smart who arrives here in, in January of 2016, it actually was hired in December of 15. And, um, one of the things we did all the time, there is a series we called next generation was to, we would fan out. And when Georgia would have signees and, you, you know, uh, in the recruiting class, then we would fan out me and others that worked for dog nation to go do a little, let's get to know them really good. And, I, I enjoyed it uh, because, you know, I, I would, you know, I went all over the place. I mean, I went like to Boston, Massachusetts to to talk to one of their um, offensive tackles and just wherever they were, we went and saw them and interviewed them. A lot of times sat down, had dinner with them, went to their house, all that kind of stuff. Kirby started putting the kibosh on that right away. It's like, I, you know, he didn't want us to get to know these people that well. And I mean, I'd hazard to guess, I mean, I don't know that this is a fact or anything, but I mean, basically he tells them, don't answer those guys calls, you know, block their numbers in your phone. Um, 
you know, they're not inside the circle. You only want to be talking to people inside the circle. Um, so now we've had this pandemic situation and, and, and Larry, you, you, I'm older than you are, but we go way back. And I remember a time when I was covering Georgia that, you know, I'd go by the convenience store and grab me two, two bags of, of sunflower seeds and, uh, and then go over to practice at three o'clock for a three thirty start and I would stand out there on that field. And if they went till six o'clock in practice, I'd be out there to six o'clock with them with my notebook in hand, making notes about this linebacker and that flanker. And th these were my own observations about these players and fights would break out and I'd write it down and, you know, somebody get yelled at for something. Somebody go down with a injury. I'd write it down. Heck the trainer they had over there. He was called Warren Morris we used to call it the Warren report because uh, you'd go over there at the end of practice and, Hey, Warren, I saw uh, Rodney Hampton came up uh, uh, gimpy, uh, gimpy in the middle of practice. There was a deal. Oh, looks like he's got a hamstring. You know, hey, write it down report that looks, you know, none of that's going on now. Right. I mean, there's just the control of information is so tight um, that you, and, and I don't, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, uh, me and Mark Bradley had this conversation uh, not too long ago because he comes out of the same school columnist for the AJC he says well I, I'm, I for one am glad to not stand out of practice for three hours anymore um, you know it's it's it, that's a long time uh, a time commitment but there's just so many um, subtleties uh, that, that you miss when you're when everything is being sort of uh, fed to you right and in a controlled environment you're just not going to get the the uh, unvarnished truth and then, of course, there's Saturday, you know, at the game. So that's we all show up and see if what we've been hearing what, is confirmed or not. Uh, but still, you're only seeing, you know, helmets and numbers. You're not really seeing the people as well as you used to. Can I go back to the Kirby putting the kibosh on you, um, on y'all doing stories on the recruits? Now, was this after they signed that you guys would go? Yeah, and, well, and it. It depended, uh, uh, you know, if a guy had been long committed, it was it was a logistical, uh, a big logistical exercise. I mean, we poured a lot of money into this, right? Like I told you, I mean, I went, to, you know, I remember flying into Boston and and then um, um, and then going to uh, Worcester. Uh, Worcester. How do you put it? Worcester, Worcester, Mass. Worcester, Mass. To uh, <laughs> thank you to to interview this guy uh, and. Uh, you know, it, 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 it was a considerable amount of expense to go do that. So, but that guy in, in particular hadn't signed yet, but he was going to sign, you know, he made it clear. So if a guy was, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to go in, but then we go ahead and do it. But then logistically we would, sometimes we'd have to wait till signing day. The, the goal and the objective, which was usually achieved uh, before Kirby anyway, would would be to get to all of them before June, right? Because now they're all of them are pretty much um, reporting by June, if not early enrollees, like we have so many of now. Um, and so we would try to get them all. But like uh, I remember the first time, I can't remember who the player was, but I had a scheduled interview, uh, and I uh, you know, and I showed up like usual at the school. Um, go to the coach's office to, you know, get some time with this player, take some pictures, got a photographer coming, you know, the whole nine yards uh, and, and a big day plan. And then the coach informs me, uh, so-and-so is not going to be able to talk to you today. 
And I think it's Malik Herring is who I'm thinking of. And uh, he's just a graduated guy. And uh, what do you mean? Uh, well, uh, he had something come up is what he says at first. And then we go back and forth and everything. As well, Kirby called and, and, and he doesn't he doesn't want him talking to anybody. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? You know? And then we get into the whole, well, I mean, this is the United States of America, isn't it? I mean, he can, he can, I, I, I can promise him it's okay to speak. <laughs> you know, there, if he's good enough to play, he's still going, he's not going to hold back playing time if, 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 uh, because you spoke to the Atlanta Journal Constitution anyway. Um, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the end, really. I mean, I don't even think they do the next generation series anymore. Uh, I'm back with the AJC at this point and not doing the dog nation thing. Jeff Sintel covers recruiting for dog nation and he does something like that all the time, but it's just, it, it's not a, uh, uh, a, a check the box type of situation. Like it used to be 25 signees, 25 interviews. Uh, and you can read about them all here. So the tentacles have extended beyond the, just the walls of the football office to, you know, exactly. players who are there, it's even not just signees, but even commits. Okay, so your was your um, reaction to that? I guess normally, you know, if you have a relationship with a coach, it would be okay. Let's let's have it out. Let me let me let me call him and let's try to hash this out. Are you are you even able? Were you even able to do that? Did you have to talk to? Claude Felton, the sports information director. How did that work? If you were, if you challenged them at all, I don't, I don't know that you did. Did yeah, you? Well, I, I did. You know, uh, I, I did. There was, there was a text exchange. Kirby's a big texter, uh, prefers text uh, to to calls, and almost never takes a call. Um, and and you know, it's fifty fifty or less as to whether you'll get re- a response to a text. Um, now it's different with different coaches and has been different with different coaches over the years with me. Uh, you know, not that it has anything to do with anything, but you know, um, you know, I, I could, pro- I could almost probably put us on Paul's call, Tom Crean, and then three way him in. Right. Hey, Tom Crean, Larry Williams from, uh, 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 from Tiger Illustrated wants to speak to you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's not the way it is with Kirby. I'll just put it that way. And, um, you know, I, I can't remember what his first responses were. Um, they changed and, and then they, they he was no longer responding, you know, when it came to trying to get a, And look, with Kirby, it's the it's the uh, Nick Saban way. It's about control. In some ways, it's sort of if, if, if you go back, I mean, it's, if this is not new. You know, there's Bill Belichick. Uh, George O'Leary was big like this. And just it's just control. You don't want anything getting out of your control. So say you're meeting with uh, one of these recruits and and he lets you know that, you know, he's having trouble on the SAT and he's not sure where he's going to get it. But he's you know, he's got to take a test. Uh, you know, he's got three more opportunities to take the test or something like that. You write it, you know, and, and, um, um, you know, this is bothersome for some reason, um, to those that, that wish to have all the control. So it's not something I, I, um, love about Kirby smart or this regime, but I mean, it's a fact, Jack, you know, it's just, uh, so I, I have to operate within those parameters or, or outside of those parameters is the case, maybe whatever it takes. I saw, I guess it was maybe a week or two ago when Kirby had a press conference and it wasn't for the start of spring practice because Georgia doesn't start for another, when, when do they start next week? Yeah. Next and week. So he March, was uh, 16th. Okay. So he, uh, it, 
I guess it just popped up on my YouTube, uh, at the top of my YouTube feed. And I was sitting there watching it. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why is he even, this is odd for Kirby to just have this availability in conjunction with nothing. Uh, was it, was it so they could promote their initiatives that they had been, I think they had an assistant coach as well who was talking yeah. about maybe some of their social justice or community stuff. Right. Was that the purpose? That, you of know, it? That, that's kind of what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was so odd. You're right that that was odd. It shows what an astute observer you are, even, even from afar, but you know, all of us, I mean, it's been like pulling teeth to find out when spring practice was actually going to begin. I mean, we've known for some time that G day was on April 17th. You know, they have 15 NCAA practices, you know, in general, in the past that Georgia has done three practices a week for five weeks, but between the pandemic and everything else, uh, Georgia and Kirby were just you know, sort of dragging their feet about when the actual start date was going to be. And um, so it wasn't until that Zoom conference came out. But here's the crazy thing about that Zoom conference. We get we didn't even know it was come till the night before I had at between 10 and 11 p.m. Uh, Claude Felton sent an email out to the beat, just just the beat, not every media outlet and said, Hey, it looks like they're, you know, heads up, there may be some availability with, with Kirby tomorrow. And, you know, you're like, oh, okay. You know, well, you know, it's, it's sorry if I, my, my son's getting chemotherapy or something, you know, but uh, let me let me lay all other business aside and, and be available for this. And I was and we were. Everybody was. Um, and, you know, you start hearing in the morning that, that they're uh, – so the uh, – apparent justification for it was this. Uh, so they got this dogs for pups initiative that Georgia has been doing since last summer. A lot of programs are doing this. I know Clemson is doing something similar just between the social unrest and, and the pandemic and a lot of different things that were happening last year. Um, you know, Georgia's leadership player team leadership uh, started developing some initiatives to do. And that, that was the pretense of this. But he knew, and and we all knew that this is his first chance to talk to him since whatever it was, January, uh, uh, since National Signing Day, and I put air quotes around that, um, that we would be asking questions about spring practice. So that just kind of happened. Now, for whatever reason, we had um, all um, offensive coaches uh, on the call as well. So it, it, a rare opportunity um, to talk to Matt Luke, the offensive line coach, because he doesn't, Kirby doesn't have his assistants available for interviews except for the coordinators in preseason camp and before the bowl. That's the only other time you get anybody from the staff uh, to interview. And in this particular case, uh, Matt Luke was uh, available. Uh, Georgia's um, wide receivers coach, Cortez Hankton, was available. And the running backs coach, Dale McGee, was available. But under the pretense that Hankton and um, and McGee oversee that dogs for pups initiative, so but you know we were able to sneak in running back and wide receiver questions among um, and I wrote a story that you know that day of, of, about their initiatives, but you know for the next five or six days I wrote stories about all the different um, position information and stuff that that trickled out as a result. So what 
did you and others chalk it up to? Was it Kirby being in a good mood? <laughs> like what? Because I know he said before, he's like, yeah, y'all don't get to talk to these assistants much, so we figured we'd make them available to y'all. Like, surely it wasn't just a charitable <laughs> gesture on Kirby's yeah, part. It, I think it was to, to get the, the Dogs for Pups initiative information out there, and there, there was probably some kind of modus operandi behind that and if i had to guess it probably had to do with recruiting <laughs> i mean because with kirby it's all about recruiting everything's about recruiting uh and he knew that he was going to have to do this at some point uh uh actually now that you mention it i hadn't thought about this he he generally takes a trip um uh, a spring break trip um out of the country most of the time i mean he goes to him and his family and and some friends usually go to some remote island somewhere, you know, to where he's not recognized and he can get away and be himself. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but now that we're talking about it and you're pinning me down on it, I think <laughs> that's that he probably was taken off this week and going somewhere um, before they start into um, the grind of, of spring practice this next week. I mean, the cynic would, would say uh, in light of the uh, Rush Probst, I guess allegations, whatever you want to call them, coming out a week later that maybe, maybe they knew that was coming and they wanted to get some positive stuff out there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I mean, the Rush Probe stuff came out a week later, and 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 yeah, maybe he's conveniently out of the country right now. <laughs> while all that's all that's going on. Uh, what a what a crazy, uh, wacky story that is. Um, and and I'll be glad to answer your questions about that, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's definitely Kirby. Kirby does that. So that's the thing. Uh, I touched with this on you previously, but, uh, you know, Claude Felton, the great Claude Felton, who is, 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 uh, who's, who among his peers are the great Tim Beret, um, is, uh, retiring. It's, it sounds like, or eventually be retiring and, and, uh, is, is not going to be doing as much with the sports communications department. And so that's kind of the bottom line here. So it used to be Claude would be telling Mark Rick and for a time telling Kirby Smart that we need to have a press conference for the press in advance of the SEC, I mean, uh, of the spring um, practice, which begins on such and such a date. Let's do it such and such a date. And the coach would put it in his calendar and do his advice. Uh, that's not how it's working anymore. So. Um, now it was a uh, Kirby was like, let everybody know that we're going to do a zoom conference tomorrow. Mm. So that's how it's working now. So I remember uh, the 2015 national championship game between Alabama and Clemson. That was Kirby's last as defensive coordinator at Alabama before he went to Athens and you, you came out to Phoenix. Um, I mean, and the, the object of that is obvious. You're, you know, you're trying to take advantage of the media opportunities to cultivate, uh, you know, relationship with Kirby. A relationship I think you already had because you covered him when, when he was a player, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That's it. You know, I'm at that point now. You know, uh, with Bobo and 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 uh, Kirby and and lots of other guys that I, you know, I, I covered them as players. Um, I covered them as assistant coaches. I talked to Kirby occasionally, not very often. Uh, when he was over at Alabama, but the uh, thing about while he was over at Alabama, he was always best buddies with Mike Bobo. They continue to be best buddies. And um, so I, you know, kind of would 
see of him and hear of him from that way. He has a place down in Lake Oconee also where a lot of uh, football coaches live. Um, he played Bruce Arians golf tournament every year, and I would go down there um, to, for some easy access interviews. It's, it's about 45 minutes from Athens to catch that every year, and that was a, uh, an, another place where I would, I'd, oh, there's Kirby down there, and he, he's had a place down there on Lake Oconee for many years while he was defensive coordinator at Alabama, and then now, of course, he's head coach. And um, So, yeah, I, I had a working relationship with Kirby, and, um, and that, you know, it was the same thing. So after, after Kirby got hired in, uh, early December of, of 2015, um, and, and, you know, I don't know how much you want to go down yeah. this path, yeah, but, let's you know, do it. Kirby, Mark Rick got fired because Kirby smart was available. Mm-hmm. That, that's a, that's the bottom line. I mean, it's not like the program was in shambles, um, before they hired Kirby Smart. They were winning ten games a year under Kirby uh, under uh, Mark Rick. They just hadn't. Uh, they gotten away from um, playing in the SEC championship game and and had not been been in national championship contention since 2012. And um, so when 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 the way things happened, you know, Steve Spurrier resigns in the middle of the season at South Carolina. Kirby Smart quickly developed is the number one candidate to replace Spurrier at South Carolina, Georgia getting wind of that one of their own possibly going to South Carolina. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, hey, we, you know, because everybody's known, they've tried to hire Kirby several times over the years. Everybody knew his worth. And, um, you know, that's the story behind the story of Mark Rick getting um, dismissed and then Kirby Smart getting hired in early December. Uh, he actually was um, confirmed as Georgia's uh, coach the night after the SEC championship game of 2015 at Alabama one in a downtown hotel in Atlanta. Um, and that's when the deal was basically brokered. And uh, I broke the news. I'm happy to say on that one, you know, it's hard to break news anymore nowadays. Um, actually several days before that happened. But um, then I go out to Phoenix and, and uh, you know, it's hard to get Kirby on the phone or do anything after he left for his introductory press conference because to his defense, he's trying to assemble a staff, he's trying to recruit, and he's being defensive coordinator for Alabama against Clemson in a national championship game. So it was a it was certainly a whirlwind time. And uh, Mel Tucker was out there as, as well, and Glenn Schumann and several others that Kirby ended up bringing back with him. And, he, and they actually, he flew back on a private jet from Phoenix with Mel Tucker in, as his defensive coordinator on that jet. Glenn Schumann was on the jet. Um, uh, Mike Cavan was on the jet uh, uh, and a couple other people. Uh, and their wives uh, were all on the jet, and they hit the ground the next day in in Athens, and thus began his tenure as, as Georgia's football coach. So when you're going out to Phoenix, you're, you're thinking, I'm telling you if I'm right here, you're thinking, man, I, I covered this guy when he played at Georgia, have a relationship with him from that. I've developed that relationship, you know, through the golf tournament and all that varied things that, you know, have allowed our paths to cross. And so now he's Georgia's coach, and... I'm going to be able to cultivate this to my advantage. How much of that, like, what did you learn, I guess, 
in hindsight, like how valuable was it actually when it became obvious, I guess. And again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that he was the Saban type, I guess, the Saban school of control and never saying anything. Like how fruitful uh, was that? Yeah, you're, you're drilling down on it now. It wasn't as fruitful as I'd hoped it'd be. I mean, you know, the bottom line is in, in terms of, of the Georgia press corps, right? Uh, I was the only one bothered to fly to Phoenix and spend a week out there, you know, in thousands of dollars and all that kind of stuff. And, and the hope is that, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't remember all the details, but I know I went out there hoping for a sit-down one-on-one interview with Kirby, and that never happened. Um, uh, I did get to see him several times at all the different national championship opportunities, but most of that was a media scrum. Um, I did get him, I, I would say the most extensive time I got with him was after the game on the field with Mary Beth and their children, his wife, Mary Beth, uh, and their children and in the locker room. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, whatever it is. And I, I got to spend a little bit of time with him they actually flew out and back to athens at 6 a.m the next morning so you know he beat me back to athens by a day um at least and um and there there was uh initially uh, a pretty good relationship but uh and I, you know i don't know this is I, I didn't really intend to get in this kind of detail and i don't, and, and I don't know and and i definitely don't want to put you in a position where you're you know this proprietary stuff and, and whatever you want, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, share it, but definitely don't share. I don't want to get well, too no, much into your fine. business. What I, what I mean is that what, where I was going with that is that I really, I don't think I've you know verbalized this stuff that much, but uh, there were some things in that first year that uh, he was helpful with me on, you know, in the, in the, in the um, coach uh, major metropolitan newspaper beat guy capacity uh, but those mostly dried up to, to completely, you know, over the years, because it, you know, I, you know, I have always been a newspaper guy, not a fan site. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's no disrespect to what you do or anybody else does, but I am only interested in the truth. I'm only interested in what's going on. I'm only interested in covering things objectively. Uh, I'm not here to do anybody any favors. I'm not here to help with recruiting. I'm not here to, you know, to do any of that kind of stuff. I'm here to cover uh, a team as an objective reporter. Uh, and once that became clear, you know, any, any, that I wasn't, I wasn't privy to any favoritism and there is some right on the beat, uh, like there is everywhere, I think on all beats, but, uh, you know, nowadays I think, um, you know, paid fan sites with uh, full-time recruiting coverage um, probably have an advantage when it comes to the relationship with the coach because they'll do the coach's bidding. They help the coach. They want to be buddies. I don't want to be anybody's buddy. I want to, you know, I'm a professional reporter. I went to journalism school, you know, so it's like, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to call them like I see them and I'm going to write what, is the truth. And so none of these coaches nowadays, and I include Davos Sweeney in this, nobody's about truth anymore. It's all about propaganda, man. It's all about image. It's all about what your program looks like. It's all about keeping guys eligible. It's all about getting the best players. Uh, It's not about educating players. It's not about, you know, life lessons. It's not about, uh, you know, as much as they want to say, I mean, you know, 
I, I, I guess it's, I, I'm getting a little cynical here because I start to say it's not about turning young men into good men because it, it is, uh, it, whether you want it to be or not. Sometimes the lessons may work uh, the other way. But uh, so, you know, that's where we are now. Uh, you know, entering year six in the Kirby Smart regime and it's probably a good segue here about, you know, what what the expectation is at Georgia because here's the way I see it. I see a guy who came to Georgia, was hired by Georgia, uh, who, who was who was a uh, tremendous um, prospect, if you will, as a coach at the time. So asked for and received great promises, and you know, and, and Georgia's made good on all those promises when it comes to money and facilities and recruiting and resources and all that kind of stuff. And now here we are six years later, heading into year six, uh, and Georgia has played in one national championship game, and they've won one SEC championship. Uh, it's been great success, lots of wins, uh, won the East three out of the last four years, didn't win it last year, uh, didn't play in the SEC championship game last year. So now the the pendulum is starting to swing to the point where, okay, you've gotten everything you could possibly want. We've done everything you said. Um, now, what you know, where's where's our payback? So as Georgia opens their latest eighty million dollar football operations facility in April, the day after the G Day game, uh, I feel like we enter into a new era. In the in the Kirby Smart regime, uh, where it's put up or shut up time, uh, you know it's uh, you you begin it, it, you know it's, it's going to be diminishing returns from here on. Every year you go without winning what you've you've verbalized is your objective. So that's where we are at this moment. And the fundamental part of that, tell me if I'm wrong, is that is that you got rid of a coach who was already pretty good. It wasn't like the program was in shambles. You you made that move to take that next step that isn't hasn't yet been taken. Is that does that kind of nail the the oh, essence that, of the situation? Right. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean in the coaching community um you know, across the country when when Georgia parted ways with Mark Rick, there were a lot of people who were going, "What?" Uh, and, you know, granted there had been, um, you know, some regression, I, I, I guess under Rick, but, you know, there's also it, all that stuff is circumstantial. And as you know, you know, football more than any other sport is cyclical and, you know, who's to say, you know, great things wouldn't have happened right around it or, or if things had been different those last couple of years, you know, a couple of breaks here and there, so, you know, injuries, all those other kind of things it might've turned out different, but yeah, that, so, so Kirby smart being at Georgia, you know, I'm not sure if he had, I put it this way. If Kirby smart had not been on the market that particular year, I think Mark Rick would have been the coach another year. I don't think Georgia was going to fire a coach and then search for one. I think Georgia knew their coach. Therefore they fired one. (laughs) If that makes sense. Harris flooring has been a major part of the facilities enhancements over at Clemson, not just with athletics, but also at the university level. And we are thrilled that they are a part of the Dubcast as a sponsor since 1947. 
The Junkins family and Harris Flooring have provided a unique shopping experience through value in their services, developing the right product solutions, and delivering on their promises. To check out some reviews on their work, just go to their Facebook page, Harris Flooring America. Rave reviews. Just first class all the way. Phone number 864-642-6183. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthal. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Bill Connolly of ESPN, you, you might have seen this. Uh, I guess it was yesterday. He did a an article whose premise was asking the question, the, t- the five programs with the best chance of becoming the quote-unquote new Clemson, and that is, uh, you know, the programs that are positioned to elevate to uh, championship contend- contention on a regular basis. It's interesting to me uh, that Georgia was ranked number one from the perspective not of are they worthy are they capable of taking it to the next level? I absolutely think they are with the talent that's being stockpiled. But the notion of of it being Georgia from the perspective of, and I, and I actually I actually wrote a whole column on it a couple of hours ago uh, just on the on the topic. No, but, I got I to gotta go retweet that. I'll but, look that up and retweet that. Anyway, my, my line, my first sort of reaction was, the top candidate to duplicate the gold standard for maximizing resources is the gold standard for squandering resources. Is that is that over the top? Yeah, I, well, I think it is. Let me, let me let me say this. You know, here's the here's the here's the bottom line on the Georgia slash Kirby Smart thing. Alabama's in the league, yeah. all right? Yeah. Clemson's situation's not Clemson's situation if Alabama's in your league. Clemson's situation is not Clemson's situation if the SEC is your league. Now, I'm not going to get into the argument about SEC versus ACC, but it, it, the truth is Clemson Clemson has great players, as good of players as any of those other programs we've discussed, but they have a better path every year. It, it's just, just I don't, I think that's quantifiable, and I think that's the truth. Um, but the, the, it all comes back to it. Now, this is, believe me, this is not Chip making excuses for Kirby because I think, I think I've made my sentiments kind of clear to this point. But the Alabama beast is real, y'all. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's there. And as long as Alabama is there, that's what everybody – now, LSU showed, you know, two years ago that, that it could be done, but it takes a real special situation. And look, Georgia has led Alabama twice – in the second half, um, you know, at half uh, at, at, at halftime of the national championship game in 2017, heck, you know, I mean, they 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 it looked like they had they were ahead of them in overtime, right? And, until second and 26, 
Um, and, and Georgia's proven they can play with Alabama pretty much better than everybody else in the league, with the exception of LSU's, which I would call it uh, uh, an anomaly year. Um, that that whole perfect storm that happened yep. that apparently some voodoo was going on down <laughs> in the, the the swamps of Baton Rouge um, for all that kind of stuff. But that is the dip. so so I read Bill Conley's thing and you know I, I don't disagree with it and I, that's the narrative all the time with Georgia. But you know you can also insert Florida and Tennessee and Auburn and every these are proud programs with hundreds million dollar budgets, you know uh, that are unable to get past that hurdle. Oklahoma doesn't have to do deal with with Alabama. Ohio State doesn't have to deal with Alabama. Clemson doesn't have to deal with Alabama and Nick Saban year after year after year after year and on the recruiting road every day. So I, I don't really buy – so Georgia has had great players, yes, but their road has always ended with Alabama, and that's, that's the paradox. Uh, you know, he has got to vanquish the beast before he'll ever get – now, how long is Georgia pay, going to be patient to do that? I don't know. There's no question. They're better off than they were. There's everything. You know, the recruiting is at a higher standard than it was. The facilities are better than they were. Um, you know, I don't know if the product on the field is markedly better. I mean, he is on the exact same track. I mean, almost to the number that Mark Rick was in 01, 02, 03, 04, 05. In fact, Mark Rick has the edge when you look at they won the SEC championship in 02 and in 05. He won two SEC championships in the same time. The only difference when Mark Rick was making hay in the early 2000s is you didn't have a playoff. If you'd have had a playoff, Georgia would have been in the playoffs. But you didn't have a playoff. You had a BCS. And in 03, you know, uh, they finished 11-3 and with a loss at the end of the year. But, uh, you know, you're 11 and two there. You're in a 14 playoff in 03. You're in a 14 playoff in 04. You're in a 14 playoff in 05. Um, you know, Kirby Smart, the exact same thing through the same amount of time. The only difference is he had a playoff to go to. He reached the national championship game and he lost. Um, he's won one championship. He's played for more. No, I, I take that back. He's played for the same number, three. Um, He's played for three of them, but he's only won one. Uh, Rick, in the same amount of time, played for three of them and won two. So, you know, he, it, it's, we're in that period that if you don't take advantage, so I, I, I don't like the term squander, but if you don't take advantage of what you've been doing these last few years, you're going to start getting diminishing returns on the other side of that, I think. The counter to your, and I, and I, I generally agree that, the ACC is, you know, there's less resistance in general. But the counter, the obvious counter to the uh, Alabama roadblock for Georgia as it relates to Clemson is Clemson beat Alabama twice. Yeah, you know? yeah so, that's true. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I, you know, really the, the example that stands out to me uh, as, as we're talking about the comparison is man that seventeen national championship game um, in the first half? Georgia was on the verge of blowing their doors off. 
Like, it really felt like Alabama was melting down and on the verge of collapse. They had that defensive lineman who's fighting with his coach on the sideline and things are in disarray. It's like Georgia is about to roll these guys. And so for whatever reason, they couldn't close the deal. I think it all goes back to uh, something we talked about last week in our phone conversation, the the offensive sort of struggle to to uh, to be visionary um, with the right ideas, the right evaluations at quarterback. And so then, lo and behold, a year later, Clemson has Alabama on the ropes and does close the deal and does blow their doors off, you know, 44 to 16. So I think it – and when I – when I say squandered resources, I'm not speaking specifically of Kirby, but more so like over a decade plus, like thinking about what would be different had Georgia, you know, had Mark Richt and Mike Bobo not told Cam Newton that he was a tight end. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I can't say that without laughing. Um, you know, had they... Or they, they liked uh, what was it? What was it? They they chose Bryce Ramsey over Deshaun Watson. Yeah, Bryce Ramsey. Yeah, they slow play the, uh, recruiting they, cycle. Yeah, they basically chose to. They prioritized Ramsey, a guy who ended up having more punts in his career than than completed passes yeah. <laughs> over over Deshaun, and also like Nick Marshall. They made him a cornerback, and then he goes. To, I mean, he got kicked off the team at Georgia, then goes yeah. to Auburn. And as a wizard of a zone read quarterback, takes them to the to the BCS title game. So my yeah. my my theory is that if you simply have the right offensive vision and and you make the right evaluations at quarterback with the innumerable um, stud quarterbacks that were in Georgia, then it's a domino effect because if you get Cam Newton, then that leads to you know, Deshaun and so on. And then you get Trevor Lawrence because of that, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, Justin Fields, whatever. And so that's what I mean. Um, I mean, yeah. I, that is just, to me, that is just incredible to think about what, how much college football, not just Georgia football, would be different right now. Because then you're able to 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 win your share against Alabama in the SEC championship game. And then you know win national titles. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it makes great sense. And and yeah, I mean, you remind. I'm remembering now our conversation um, that we had last week or wherever it, it was, and and it is an incredible. And uh, you know, really, just really, just from a even more simplistic standpoint, if uh, you know, yeah, look, Nick Saban is the goat, right? And uh, so. Alabama struggling like crazy in that game, and they end up bringing some freshman named Tua Hungavaloa. And I remember being in the press box, having to, you know, it's like, how do you pronounce this guy's name? <laughs> you know, how do you study? You know, and I, I had to. Uh, there was some kind of alliteration I came with, so I could remember how to spell his name, is it? Because they ended up writing it all over the place, right? Uh, and uh, you know, so if second and twenty six doesn't happen, how different is everything since then, right? Yeah, yeah. Because. I mean, I think Dabo and Clemson stands as the example. If you can break that ceiling, what is on the other side of it, right? Like the light that is above those clouds. Um, and Georgia has not been able to get through the clouds to the light. They just haven't. 
The other side of that is now, and this is increasingly becoming a narrative on Georgia and Kirby, but you touched on one, which is the offensive thing, which I think um, they have addressed to some degree, to a, to a better degree, uh, to a percentage uh, of improvement uh, with Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator. Now, I think he's doing a lot more things. And if you look at Georgia, even in games they struggled against last year, AKA uh, a, uh, uh, Alabama and, and Florida, you know, you got, you got players running free all over the field. If you just had a quarterback to deliver it to him and they kind of finally fixed that with the, the, the enigma that was JT Daniels being able to be on the field last year. But my point is I'm, long-winded getting back to is Kirby as the in-game coach. You know, he's been outfoxed and beaten and taken a, a risk that have come back to bite him in big games. There's games that people of there at Clemson aren't even going to be familiar with on a, on a strategic standpoint, uh, from a strategic standpoint, like the road loss they had at LSU, um, uh, you know, the year be- before uh, uh, LSU's national championship, uh, Georgia was dominating them and, and just a couple of bonehead um, special teams calls um, just completely flipped the momentum in that game. And Georgia ends up losing a road game at LSU that they really should have won. And, uh, you know, never mind the, you know, the fake punt uh, against Alabama, uh, one of the worst calls in the history of college football, in my opinion, for a lot of different reasons, not not the least of which is time and score. But also, you know, uh, trotting Justin Fields out on the field and thinking nobody's going to notice <laughs> that, you know, he's the – I mean, it would be one thing if he'd been the up back the entire game. But, no, uh, you know, number one comes trotting on the field in that situation, and they're screaming on defense, you know. One, quarterback's in. Look for the bag. Look for the bag. I mean, this, uh, you know, this kind of crap, you know, and this is where Kirby and I really butt heads because I lit him up on that. Um, I was writing columns for Dog Nation at the time, and you know, I caught I caught it that worst one of the worst calls in the history of modern college football. <laughs> he's got he's got to overcome that. Did, did, um, did you hear from him after that? Not directly. In fact, what was so disappointing is you know how it works after those national championship games. You know, you, the, they're finishing late. Deadlines are ridiculous, and the coach goes uh, in a room by himself at the same time that the locker room is open. Right. And so you got to kind of make a choice. And uh, we had somebody go into the coaches thing and I, I had express purpose to ask them, it, it, what were you thinking? And it never got uh, straightly answered and has only been, he has tap danced around that thing a lot over the years. I've never got to sit down with him. Because by the time we got access to him, it's like months later, and it's almost not pertinent to ask him. But you know, it's you can read what he said about it here that he still he still contends it was a good call and that somebody was open on the play. I still say BS. <laughs> it was a bad call, and and you know he's he's known for being a conservative defensive coach, and you needed to be in that moment because your de- your defense was playing just fine at that very moment, and the game was hanging in the balance. Instead, you gave them the game because that play didn't work. So it was a bad play in my opinion. That was the SEC championship, right? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I believe it was. Um, the, the interesting thing about Tua coming in in the 17 national championship, 
was that they in the semifinal in the Sugar Bowl against Clemson um, before right before that game, like ten minutes ten minutes before that game, Alabama Clemson. Uh, I'm riding up uh, on the elevator from the field to the to the press box, and Aaron Suttles, uh, who was with the uh, Tuscaloosa News at the time. Isn't that where he worked? I think. It, I think. Anyway, reporter, yes. who, long-time reporter who covers covers Alabama. Yeah. He says uh, he's they're gonna they're gonna put Tua in, and I'm like, whoa, really? He goes, yep, really. And so they never had to in in that game because Clemson's offense was so bad. Uh, Clemson scored six points in that game, and Alabama all, all Alabama had to score was 24, and they actually. They had a pick six, so Alabama won while scoring 17 offensive points in yeah. that game. So they didn't have to put Tua in. And actually, in hindsight, I remember Saban telling somebody, or maybe it got out after the season, that they went into that game planning on playing Tua because Jalen Hurts looked so bad in the previous game. I guess it was the Iron Bowl because they didn't play in the SEC Championship that year. But yeah, pretty interesting how... Uh, they went into the Sugar Bowl, into the semifinal that year, fully prepared to play, to play two of then. And then the and then the flip side, you know, a year later, Georgia meets them in the SEC championship game, and uh, Jalen Hurts comes in from Tua, yeah. Tua Tungavaloa yeah. because because Georgia was dominating Tua, and Jalen Hurts comes in and flips the script on him. You know, it's a, it's something to be said. You know that's that's where Saban is still the goat. I think he, you know, he even in that game in 2015. Remind me, there was a uh, I mean, there was a pretty pretty gutsy call he oh, made the, in that the, game. The, yeah, the onside kick, the pooch, yeah, the onside, onside kick. kick. Yeah, that's what it was. Because that game, I was I was I was covering the championship game, but I was kind of I was paying less attention to it than I was uh, with all the Kirby stuff. Uh, but yeah, I remember. Wow, that is a huge. I mean, the gumption, you know, to call that in that situation. So he has always pushed the, 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 the right buttons in, in those games. And it's, uh, you know, and that's, and that, and that's where Kirby, you know, but the other thing, you know, Clemson has done a fantastic job in that. that, that I think that the, the primary difference when it comes to Georgia versus Clemson versus Alabama is it's just, it's every day with them in recruiting. It's just, I don't know. It seems, it's probably Georgia's probably made it bigger than life at this point, and until they're able to to I keep saying vanquish the beast, but that's just what comes to mind all the time. When until they can get past that, um, none of these other things are going to happen for them. And so you know, which puts us to this season. You know, so there's big expectation like there has been every year under Kirby coming into this year, and they open. Uh, with Clemson in a matchup that's just the the closer and more I've looked into it, I got through pro uh, profiling Georgia's secondary today, um, you know, for spring and looking ahead to the fall. And it's like, man, I, I I'm sure that you know Dabo is licking his chops when it comes to what he's going to have to work against in Georgia's secondary next year. Now, Georgia's good kind of everywhere else on the defensive side of the ball, but man. And no matter who it is, uh, I, I guess even Derry and Kendrick, they're going to have some raw cornerbacks out there. Uh, you know, whoever ends up playing against uh, them in the in the opener, and and uh, and it's the good news for both teams is that being the first game of the year, I don't think a loss to either 
um, on either side sideline is going to ruin the season. There'll be plenty of time to, to make good and possibly get back into a championship situation. But, man, that's going to be a great game. I'm really excited about it. Something to file away, talking about Georgia's secondary and the challenge they're going to face is I counted up 12 guys Clemson has at either receiver or tight end who are 6'3 or taller. 12. Yeah. Like their stature yeah. on the front line is going to be pretty – uh, pretty, pretty imposing, especially if Justin Ross gets uh, gets medically clear because he's going to be in the slot, and then you're going to have jo- uh, Braden Galloway on the other side, the tight end, the other slot. Um, it's tough, almost like a basketball team is what they look like. Yeah, and I, I know there's going to be an opportunity for a lot of big plays for Clemson because, in my opinion, the only way Georgia can possibly combat that is to try to put pressure on the quarterback and you know that's a tough quarterback pressure uh so there's going to be chances you know there's they're going to have george's going to have to take risk in that game uh because i don't think they can just sit there and line up and and, and cover everybody there's no way they can not not, not with the the guys they're going to have to put on the field they're either going to be they're either going to be uh first year guys uh like uh, keely ringo and Jalen kimber uh a possible transfer or two if those come in or upperclassmen guys that haven't been able to get on the field these last three years. And there's a reason for that, you know, um, like Amir speed and, and uh, Latavius Brenny and these guys that are red shirt juniors and, and seniors. So uh, that's a, uh, that's uh, definitely, I can go ahead and do my uh, uh, matchups breakdown right now. And, and when it goes to, uh, passing game advantage a big big giant check in the clemson side all right the rush probst story first of all um what i mean it hasn't really been written about a ton you, you reported on it you talked to oh gosh the guys the nickname who's nub i guess based on his yeah. i'm trying not to yeah. laugh nub nelson. Nub nelson. he has a he's an amputee i guess uh yeah um so what is your best guess as to what really happened here? Well, I I think knowing uh, the the uh, legend of Rush Probst, uh, and I use the term loosely, <laughs> um, I, I think this is just a case of a uh, of a coach running his mouth, as you know nowadays. Um, more than ever, but it's always the case, you know, the proof is going to be in the pudding kind of thing. So, you know, he's throwing out accusations there that Georgia uh, and Alabama, uh, he's on tape. And this, the, the, the funny thing about it, it the, the reason all of this is on tape is he's explaining to Nub Nelson why they need to play, pay Valdosta players, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so as an example, he's saying Georgia and Alabama – are paying ninety to hundred thousand dollars a piece for players, and that's what got caught on tape and in the leaked audio that Nub Nelson uh, made. Uh, he has since gotten fired, and then that got uh, you know he claims to not be uh, not know how that ended up getting leaked, but it gets leaked. <laughs> uh, and um, you know both uh, Georgia and Alabama compliance departments are aware of it and have called. Um, at least they've called Nub Nelson. I've never heard from Rush Probst on this. I've, I've reached out with phone calls and messages um, to to get some kind of comment from him, and um, haven't gotten anything. He he did uh, 
uh, I've seen a report since then that uh, there's there's legal action going on in Valdostin is how ultimately all this came out. And those uh, audio tapes are part of the deposition that the using the coach that was before Rush Probes is, is claiming wrongful dismissal. And um, there was an affidavit from that that came out recently where Rush Probst says uh, that he has no personal knowledge of recruiting violations by Georgia or by Alabama. Um, and look, this this has been going around. Yeah, here's the here's the thing, and I, this is just you know Larry and Chip talking, right? Uh, <laughs> is is Jeremy Pruitt worked for Rush Probst for a long time. He's out as the Tennessee coach. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt's been saying this stuff behind the scenes for a couple of years now. I mean, you know, like $80,000, $90,000 for players to come sign with you. Um, the bottom line, you're going to have to prove that in some way, shape, or form. And I don't know if it goes beyond that's the question, compliance, asking about it, getting affidavits of a guy saying, I don't have any personal knowledge of it, and it ends there or if the NCAA enforcement staff comes rolling into town, that's what nobody in college football, Clemson, Oklahoma, um, you know, East Tennessee state wants happening because once they show up, you know, you just can ne- never be sure they're going to probably find something because they don't want to go to the trouble. But then again, the NCAA now is severely understaffed uh, and lacks subpoena power. So that's become I think advantageous for for big Power Five programs when it comes to how they're operating behind the scenes. Uh, you know, what's the truth? I don't know. Did Rush Probst say it? Yeah, I heard the recording. He definitely did. Uh, does he believe what he said? You know, according to affidavits, no. Uh, is that enough to to clear Georgia and Alabama of any trouble? Can't tell you. So Pruitt had been saying for years in his role as Tennessee's coach that Georgia was paying this and that for players? Well, no, no, he'd been talking about Alabama. So Alabama and Georgia are Tennessee's chief recruiting rivals. And this is now, listen, this is, let, let me preface this by, this is just on the street rumor. Sure. So that, that, that is a, a narrative that he has thrown out there for a while. I haven't spoken to Jeremy Pruitt and he hadn't told me that. So, I mean, let me be clear about that. But he taught him and Rush Probst are close. They go way back to Hoover High when he was an assistant for Rush Probst. And it sounds to me like Rush Probst parroting uh, what he'd heard on the street. I mean, I, I honestly believe that's the beginning and the end of it. Has Georgia ever paid players? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I wouldn't be surprised if anybody in Power Five football has done that, but I can't prove it. And I don't know that personally. So, um, and to be honest with you, I quit uh, digging down that uh, road a long time ago. Cause you know, nowadays um, there are so many layers around um, when it comes to, to those kind of things, so many layers involved that uh, you spend, uh, you just don't have the time on the day to day to be digging with a shovel uh, down into that stuff um, all the time. I, mean, I have no idea what happened, but it sounds like to me, my best guess is Probst was trying to sell Nub on being his bag man. Yeah, well, he wanted to. Ultimately, he wanted. Now, well, here's what. It, so, Nub Nelson is the <laughs> t- 
touchdown club director, which was a full-time position. And yeah, look, it's not a, it's, it's a, a touchdown club. I mean, his, his full-time job was at Napa auto parts, right? And he gave that up <laughs> to be the full-time touchdown director, which look Valdosta high, it's no small thing. I mean, yeah. and it takes a lot of these big football programs, uh, particularly in Georgia and in the South, um, take a lot of money to operate. There are hundreds of thousands of institutions. And he was a guy who sold sponsorships, you know, for to put on the fence and to put on the radio broadcast and all that kind of stuff. And Rush Probst wanted access to that money. Why? Well, you know, he wasn't he didn't he wasn't very wishy washy about it. That's that's why he's in trouble in Valdosta. He wanted to be able to buy apartments and stuff for players to be able to move in their district and come play for them. Um, and uh, it's gotten him in trouble before at Hoover and at Colt County High, and it looks like it's uh, followed him to Valdosta as well. On the surface, hearing that Chubb was paid doesn't make much a great, a great deal of sense because the argument would be, well, if he needed money, he would have just gone to the NFL. But I guess I could conceive of you know, sort of hypothetically, okay, just as an incentive to stay, we'll pay you what you would have normally made from an agent or something. I mean, is that how, – how do you view that? Or are you just well, like – Well, I mean, you know, Chubb, Chubb ended up tweeting in response to yeah. my story, which was, which was interesting. He said, if I needed money, I'd have gone to the NFL. I'd have gone on to the NFL, which is true. But you can also see how, you know, it's like a bird in the hand and two in the bush. I mean, you know, if Georgia – Again, I have to preface all this. This is this is just us talking as conjecture. But here, here's one hundred eighty thousand dollars cash, um, you know, that you can use right now. And you know, there you would not enter in any kind of deal without with that without some kind of insurance deal. Now, there's allowable insurance as a returning draft eligible senior that the NCAA allows you to get. But there's also insurance over and beyond their parameters that you can get, you know, Lloyd's of London, big giant policies. And, you know, Chubb having already had uh, a major knee injury in his career, you know, would have been concerned about that. I'm sure. So is it in the realm of possibility? Absolutely. You know, uh, I'm always amazed. I think Clemson does uh, as good a job, maybe better than anybody of convincing draft eligible first round possible prospects to come back for their senior year. How did they do it? I don't know. I mean, it, it, you know, obviously they're having a lot of fun and there's a lot to play there at Clemson right now. They take great care of them and the facilities are second to none. Um, so, you know, is, is that enough? You know, maybe so, but Georgia now that's been, you start talking about the Kirby smart proposition, even versus Alabama, they've been hurt more by the NFL equation than, than helped in that regard. The past, 2017, when Sony Michelle, um, Nick Chubb, Lorenzo Carter, Davin Bellamy, uh, there were a couple of Dominique Sanders. All these guys had pretty high draft grades and chose to come back. That's kind of what it takes now. Yep. Because otherwise, you it's it's you don't get enough of that senior leadership on your team. That's what all these coaches. Are after now Georgia did better in that regard this year. It's one of the things that's got them excited with a guy like Jordan Davis coming back uh, as a six foot six, three hundred and thirty five pound nose guard. Uh, that was that was big, and they had a few others, but they also, you know, were typically devastated with with Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes, who just ran a four two five forty at a combine. 
who otherwise would have been back. Uh, you know, that, that, that hurts you. And the teams that are able to convince those guys to come back for a fourth year, uh, definitely on that, on that level, have an advantage. All right. I've had you for over an hour, but I have to ask you, I can't let, I can't let you go without asking you about the, really? Cade, the Cade Mays. Oh, the Cade Mays. I can't get through it without dying laughing. The, the finger. The, the, Cade <laughs> Mays gave Georgia the finger. <laughs> his dad, well, his the dad reason, did. the reason he was able to transfer without penalty was the extenuating circumstance was his dad lost a finger in a, a chair that got collapsed or something like, okay, what, 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 what's the inside yeah. story there? Yeah. So, uh, the, the funny thing about it, and it's, it, I don't know. It is funny. There's no other way you can put it. You know, Kate Mays five star and he's a legacy at Tennessee and, and he's a high five star offensive line prospect and he's on his recruiting visit. One of his recruiting visits to Georgia, his dad's a big man played offensive line at uh, Tennessee, and uh, now he's leaning back in a folding chair up against a uh, concrete column, you know, in in the in this recruiting lounge that Georgia has, and his weight causes the chair to buckle, and his pinky, which he had kind of on the sides of the back of the chair, gets caught in a in a scissors type of thing with a, a latch. I mean, it, it makes, it makes chills go up my back, you know, to think about it. and snip the, his pinky finger clean off at the top from the top knuckle off. And I mean, it was, it was that they Georgia picks, you know, a uh, Sam Pittman, the offensive line coach picks up his finger in a napkin. <laughs> I'm sorry. They, I mean, I'm they sorry. take him to the hospital and, you know, they try to sew it back on, but it doesn't work. And, but the thing is, he signed with Georgia well after that incident, and and it was a joke among the Mays family. It's like you know, I gave Georgia my son and my finger too, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, fast forward a couple of years later, uh, his father sued Georgia over that. Now Georgia wasn't refusing to pay anything; they were paying the uh, you know all the medical stuff and 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 everything on that, but he was suing for some kind of damages. And I don't even know his father personally, so I can't really get into his character, but I mean, you know, millions of dollars he was suing this for. And supposedly I actually don't believe because I was around him as much as I was before then that that was causing some kind of backlash in his day to day world at Georgia. Um, You know, people at Georgia and, and my own, experience was i mean you know we talked to kate mays he was one of the kind of designated spokespersons for kirby which is kind of how he operates he kind of you only speak to like a a segment of of players all year long and he was one of them you know and he always seemed fine and all that wait 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 it was it was was alleged that cade's day-to-day life was traumatized at, in Athens by his dad losing his pinky finger? Well, to- toxic environment after the lawsuit had been filed. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A toxic environment. That was the words that um, I think they actually came out of Tennessee after he was up there. He never uttered such a thing to us, and we didn't know about the lawsuit till after he was gone. I mean, his, his transfer was a shock. Because he started at left tackle in the Sugar Bowl win over Baylor, 
on January 1st and on January 6th or 7th, he's showing up at Tennessee as a transfer. Um, so it was, it was fairly stunning. And then all the other stuff came out. Um, but bottom line is, you know, Cade Mays is now at Tennessee. Um, you know, he was on the losing side of the game last year and they've had a head coaching change over there. And, and, um, and they're, they're actually, the NCAA is looking into some of the stuff about his transfer. I, I have no idea what's going on with all that as to whether everything was done above board or not or, or whatever, but it is what it is. And he's, he, he chose to come back for a senior year for Tennessee and he'll be starting for him at guard this year. Has the lawsuit been resolved? It, uh, you know, I probably need to check it. it the, the lawsuit actually doesn't involve Georgia athletics and really UGA directly. As you can imagine, this ended up at the manufacturer of the chair. Uh, uh, whose name escapes me. The last time I looked at it, that's where the litigation really lies, uh, is in should somebody be making a chair that could buckle and cut your finger off? Uh, you know, I, I agree, probably not. <laughs> you know, but but that Georgia owned them, you know, uh, you know, that he was leaning back in it like he shouldn't be. I mean, you know, uh, Georgia's really not at liability here. They have insurance for that and lawyers for that and um i frankly have a check i I would i would assume this resolved but you know what i'm going to check on it larry thanks and i will get back to you on that let you know what you're utterly absurd though that his son was encountering a toxic environment like who (laughs) well listen it's the same thing as justin fields um, you know, supposedly encountering racism right. while he was here as his reason for extenuating circumstances to transfer to Ohio State. He didn't encounter any racism here. His sister remained at Georgia and still here on the softball team, and he comes back and visits her all the time. The reason he transferred is because he wanted to try quarterback somewhere else, and it seemed to work out. Um, but you know, in, in order to get, and that's going to change with the one-time transfer. Thank goodness. I, I agree with that because the extenuating circumstances waiver is ridiculous. These guys will say whatever they need to say in order to get out of their existing letter of intent agreement. Chip towers, uh, this hour plus has flown by and, uh, we're going to have to reconnect maybe, uh, this summer leading into the, the big showdown in Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's maybe yeah maybe if we talk a little more regularly, carve out a little ten minute segment for me with you on there. You know, every other week or so, and we'll just catch up, and we maybe we won't have to bore people with an hour and a half of our <laughs> our, our discussion. And this is much more fun to do in person over a beer. So we we got to do that. Too. Oh yeah, I, I will I will write it down right now. I'll put that on my calendar for sure. <laughs> All right, thanks to Chip Towers for joining us, giving us his time. Really interesting conversation there, and entertaining. In a lot of areas, thanks to him. Also, thanks to our very loyal sponsors for making this happen. And most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting play on this podcast every week. Everybody have a great and safe weekend. Cheers.